Hi, this is Joe Abunazar, and, and with Impact Basketball, we're really excited to partner with Coaching You Live and Coach uh, Brendan Fair and Kevin Eastman with our certification program. We've put together an online program for player development, uh, over 17 hours of video that we feel will really change the way players are developed and, and be very, very helpful to coaches, trainers, parents all over the world. So really excited to partner with Coaching You Live. Uh, we've, we've put a special deal together with Coaching You Live to provide a discount code of Coaching You Live entered in our promo code, all lowercase, Coaching You Live at our website, impactbball.com, impactbball.com. If you click on Get Certified, and you can go right to the page to get signed up, enter that Coaching You Live code, and you will receive the discount. But really excited. It's a great program. I think that it's going to change the way players are developed. That's been our mission since we started uh, training players 18 years ago, and it continues to be our mission today. Now we're sharing this knowledge for the first time with coaches all over the world. Welcome to another edition of the podcast with the coach, Fran Frischella. This is Brendan Sir and Fran, we have been dear friends for too many years, but I just want you to know I love this time of year because now we're getting ready for the NBA draft, and that night you become the MVP of the draft <laughs> with your incredible analysis and knowledge of all the players in the draft, both U.S. and our international contingent. What makes you, Fran, someone that has such a keen interest in international basketball? Oh, boy, Brendan, it's such a great question, and it was an evolving – first of all, you it's it's been an evolving process for me, but you know, first of all, how much I just truly love the game and uh, mm -hmm. uh, always trying to learn and figure out, you know, trends and what's new and what's working. And, you know, I had a, I had a young man at Manhattan College back in the 90s, Geronimo Bucero, he came to us from Madrid, Spain. I was, I was lucky enough to pick him up uh, as a recruit and uh, spent four great years with us at Manhattan, was a 3.97 student. Uh, he made six threes in our NCAA win over Oklahoma. Uh, so I'll always uh, be indebted to him for that. But before his senior year, we took the team to Spain on our foreign tour as a way to kind of get him back home. And um, I'm trying to think of it. It wasn't my first trip over there. I've been over there a number of times to Europe, but it's my first basketball experience, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And uh, that led to doing some clinics in various places, uh, uh, Spain and Iceland and Italy and uh, Greece. And, and when ESPN back in 2003 or four was looking for uh, – and a draft analyst that might know a little bit about the international game, and I certainly didn't know all that much back then. Coincidentally, another one of my former players, a guy that you've gotten to know well, Pete Philo, was helping run the uh, Reebok Euro Camp. And I went over there. Donnie Nelson and Kiki Vanderway had put it together. Pete was the director. And Donnie said to me uh, one day uh, early in the first camp there, you need to get out there and coach. And I was a little shy about it because everybody else was an NBA guy. Uh, but I did it. And uh, that turned into like eight straight years of coaching at a camp that produced so many good players that are in the league right now, including Goran Dragic and Serge Ibaka, Nicholas Batum, Marcin Gortat. And that's really how it started. And ESPN's given me a great platform. And uh, I spend time every year at the Euro Camp. I watch a lot of tape. 
do a lot of FIBA stuff. And so that's a long answer, but it's it's kind of a snowball rolling downhill right now. You know, I think, um, you know, having – I'm trying to think back around 88 when I was with the Hawks, we we took yeah. our eight or nine of our players to play – uh, well, actually, the summer prior, we we had the Soviet team, Alexander Gomelsky's kids, come in yes. and spend yes. two weeks with us in Atlanta, uh, literally lived with us, went out and played together. Uh, Ted Turner, our great owner with the Hawks at the time, owned the Goodwill Games. So he, yes. he was, you know, we really Were you on that the, trip? Were oh you gosh, on that yeah. trip to Russia? Oh, That's course, one of the yeah. all-time historic trips, wasn't it? Yes, uh, with, with stories that with stories that people don't even know, uh, and and, and oh. it was uh, it was just an incredible experience. And uh, here yeah. we are, and we're coaching against their team that ends up winning the gold medal with Sabonis, sure. Sharunas, Marcellinus, and all these wonder uh, Sasha Volkov, you know, all yeah, these wonderful course. kids uh, who I drafted and played for us and. You know, and, and and so that was our first experience in it, uh, and then of course the dream team, and then yeah. you know coaching Petrovic in uh, New Jersey, oh, yeah. Chuck and I, uh, yeah. and my love for the game over there is incredible, and now seeing twenty five percent of our league being yes. international players, you got to feel good about your contribution to understanding and helping these kids really get valued. Oh, you know, so yeah. First of all, boy, you you talk about the just the names you just you know dropped right there. I mean, you know, uh, I I went. I got to tell you this, you'll love this. Last year at the Euro Camp, uh, uh, two of the kids, two of the Croatian kids who actually went in the first round, Saric and uh, the mm-hmm. the big kid from Denver who's had a really good rookie year, uh, uh, Yusef yes. Nurkic. Uh, they played against each other in. Uh, in Zagreb, and uh, I drove over with Donnie Nelson and his coaching staff, and uh, we saw the game, as you know, in, uh, in in Drazen Petrovic Arena, and there's a huge statue outside of him out there, and his mom goes to all the games, and uh, it was incredible history for me, for someone who loves the history of the game, to to be there and to you know to to see where Drazen grew up, really. But uh, yeah, I. I you know, you and I both know, and we, we're, we, we've experienced the fact that the basketball world has gotten smaller and smaller as we get older. Yeah. And uh, I can remember back in 2010 covering the world championships for ESPN, and uh, it was in Turkey. And it's really funny. It's, a, it's an interesting story. I'll tell it, tell it quickly. A, a lot of times I'll do FIBA games from Bristol off the TV right. monitor. And it's a two-week tournament, as you know, the, the FIBA World Cup. And uh, the beginning of the first, uh, after at the end of the very first week of the of the tournament, I'm flying into Bristol, and I get a phone call from my producer, and she says, "Fran, is there any way you can get to Istanbul tomorrow?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, sure. Why?" She goes, "Well, we 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 got the directive from." Our 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 boss, and I think it was George Bodenheimer, that we yeah. need to be over there for the final week. Now I found out later that Jerry Colangelo made a call and said to George, "We're going to win this thing. You better get somebody over here." <laughs> so anyway, we do go over, and we're right behind one of the benches, and 
Serbia was playing one of the quarterfinal games, and I had coached or been a part of coaching seven of the 12 guys on the Serbian team. Wow. And they, and they had turned around, and they're still younger players. They're four years older now. But they were all younger players back then, and they saw me, and they kind of they, they connected. They were like, that's, that's Coach Fran. What is he doing here? And it was so cool to see kids that I had coached at the camp uh, playing in the world championships. And I think right now 50-plus guys who came out of the Euro camp are now in the league. So it, it's terribly rewarding. And, uh, you know, it's great to see a lot of these guys not only being in the league, but guys like, as I mentioned, Dragic and Batum, you know, having so so much success. Uh, Bargnani came through, Gallinari, Bellinelli. So you, Patty Mills. I, I drafted uh, Gallinari. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who you know, I think is a terrific player if he could stay healthy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, yeah. this is tell 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 people this that don't really understand or, or know much about international basketball. It's not their fault, especially our younger coaches. Yeah. First of all, how great the coaching is over in Europe. Number one, let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, you you and I know this, and you know it even better because of Chuck, but. The game of basketball was imported there, you know, 40-plus years ago, as you know, and it, it was guys like Chuck Daly and U.B. Brown and Jack Ramsey and Luke Karnaseka and, you know, Dan Peterson, who people don't know, but was a great, you know, uh, a great influence on the game over there and others. And you probably have 50 others, you know, Mike Fratello certainly. And and what, what happened was, and you know this, uh, we imported the game. And they figured it out, and in some ways, in many ways, actually, I think, uh, made made coaching better. And so much of it, guess what, is being imported back to the States. And the way I look at the analogy, uh, Brendan, of European coaching is you and I walk into uh, an art museum and we see a beautiful masterpiece and we look at it straight on, and that's the American way. The European coaches, they look at the same masterpiece piece from a different angle, maybe from the side, and they see something a little different, but just as beautiful. And, you know, whether it's pick-and-roll basketball or the way they spread the floor, you know, so much of their influence now that they learn from us and refined, they've, you know, we've now brought back to the NBA and the college game. So I think the coaching is incredible, and we're seeing it. You know, we're seeing it with guys like David Blatt getting his chance. I know you and I talked about Ettore Messina before this podcast, and he is the next guy likely to be an NBA coach, a great Italian coach. And I have to tell you about Ettore. I am 1-0 and against him. Because really? Because when I was coaching at Manhattan College, uh, we needed an exhibition game, and our good friend Bob McKillops set up a, a an exhibition game with the Italian national under-19 team. So there's a trick question there. They came over. Uh, we were a little more experienced. We beat them. But more importantly, much more I know more those referees you used to have at Manhattan. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. We had, we, had, we had Metro Atlantic officials. But much more importantly, uh, my, my friendship with Etteray started then, and, uh, you know, it, uh, it continues to this day. Well, he, he's certainly special, and uh, we're excited to have him this summer in Vegas at Coaching U. But, oh, great. Uh, great. You know, but let, let's, you know, 
Chuck uh, Chuck Daly went over when he was going to coach the Dream Team in '92. The USA Basketball said, "Chuck, we want you to go over in summer of '91 to have a press briefing, and I think they had some European type of championships probably qualifying, and we want you to go yeah. over there, but meet the media." And uh, you know, Chuck was known for his wonderful attire, and every only thing they'd ever seen Chuck with all the NBA championships was these incredible suits. So here we were in Spain in the summer, you know, 88, 90 degrees yeah. out there. Yeah. And here comes Chuck in these gorgeous silk slacks and a short sleeve, uh, beautiful dress type of shirt, you know, Italian type of yeah. shirt. And it's yeah. $2,000 loafer, loafers. And the media, 900 media for a press briefing. And, and he, they, they asked him through an interpreter, Where's your suit? <laughs> Where's your suit? How about that? Yeah, they they that? wanted him to dress up. So, and that was the thing during the Olympics. Uh, they, you know, as you know, Coach K and those guys, they're all wearing their casual coaching stuff. You know, check check suit. I love suit. it. I they love wanted it. to be in a suit. Yeah. They wanted to be in a suit, and so it was really great. But we did a clinic over there, and yeah. uh, Chuck showed them. And you'll appreciate this now. He showed his favorite drill in basketball was what he called the hedge drill, which was double yeah. high post, point guard, yeah. and they would go off either elbow, and he taught the player how to hedge, and the other guy how to help on the guy rolling. Yeah. That was his drill, three-man drill. That was his favorite yeah. drill. We did it every day in pro basketball. And then one day we made that into an offense because Vinny Johnson kept killing Isaiah and Dumars running off the pick-and-roll drill and said, this should be a play for me, for me, coach. This should be my play. <laughs> and and, and I, Chuck said, well, what kind of play? He says, put two shooters in each corner. He says, I don't need anyone else. That was his thing. And literally that? we put that in as a play and we called it the V because of the point guard Two high posts, yep. two guys in the corner, a V alignment. Now it's called the horns by you know NBA standards. Exactly. And the Europe. He showed this in '91. I go back in mid '90s. Everyone in Europe is running this, and they have done more with that set than the NBA ever yes. dreamt about. And I, oh. I, and that's what you know. You said the way that they yes. look at things. They've done a marvelous job, and they've done that with so many of our things, and I compliment yeah. them for it. Yeah. Tell, me about, why? tell me about what you well, think now, about Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I love it. No, now that now that's set. And, you know, I, it's funny. I By the way, I played high school basketball against Vinnie Johnson. You should know that uh, for two years in Brooklyn. Uh, and then he was a power forward, believe it or not, until he learned how to I shoot. Do, and, I know, do become, believe that. Became a, became a great player, but uh, – no, I mean you are absolutely right. Even today, the horn set, or the you know, I I call it the A set because you know yep. inverted it looks like the A and Argentina, exactly. the the great Argentina teams, the Scolas yes. and the Nobles, they 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 have made an absolute living out of that set. But that is absolutely the essence of the game of basketball right there. That that uh, we all, um, to borrow the phrase, we steal from each other. Yeah, we make it. We someone's got a different way of doing something, and we make it a little bit better. And you know, the lesson for young coaches here is that just because you see somebody run of offense in college or in the NBA doesn't mean you can't take that offense and tinker with it 
and make it suitable for your high school guys, let's say. And, uh, you know, it, it's very funny because we're going to trade stories here, but a couple of years ago, probably six, seven, maybe seven or eight years ago, Bob Hurley came over to the Euro camp when it was sponsored by Reebok. Oh. And he was my assistant coach. I didn't want him. I said, Bob, you've got to be the head coach. <laughs> he goes, no, no, no. I'm just here to watch. I want, you know, so he's sitting on the bench with me. But we got to, we got to meet Remus Kurtonitis, who was on those great Soviet oh, teams, yes. the shooter. Oh, well. Yep. And and yeah, Lemos is a shot. great Oh no, he I mean you talk about I mean I think you got to put him right up there with Mullen and you sure. know Del Curry and, and the great shooters but Lemos is now a really good coach in Europe and he showed us this little continuity pick and roll offense that goes side to side and and Bob Hurley really liked it and we kind of all brought it back to the states and I'm sure it'd been run by some people in the states but it's unbelievable. Uh, Bob, first of all, anything he steals, he doesn't act like he invented it. So he'll call that offense Lithuania. Or he'll steal something from Eddie Jordan and call a play Rutgers, which is uh, what I love about him. Yeah. And But now, you know, six, seven years later, both unfortunately and fortunately, everybody in America is running this continuity pick-and-roll play. Yep. Almost to the Almost to the point where it's easy to guard. And now I jokingly call it a defensive drill, Brendan. That play, it's a it's a it's a, it's a pick and roll drill because everybody knows it. Everybody knows what's coming. But to your point, it's so cool to be able to see basketball, whether it's in the X and O's or teaching of the fundamentals, really evolve. And um, and I have to tell you about Ettore Messina. Going back to him because sure. there there will be people listening to this podcast who will be at coaching you live in July. There's not. There may be there may be as good, but there aren't many better teachers of the game of basketball, including someone who understands the fundamentals and how they kind of connect to uh, X and O basketball any better than Ettore. He is one of the greatest teachers of the game uh, that we have in in the basketball world, and it's going to be such a treat for uh, you know for the coaching you uh, coaches to to listen to him talk. And especially talk about his experience in the NBA this year with Spurs, because as you know, he's been a great, great coach in his own right many years. Well, you know, I watched some last night, for instance, coaching against the Clippers. Yeah. And 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 I and what I really for those of us that know him and watched him coach Kiska Moscow or you know, yeah, uh, Benetton or someplace, you, you're watching him coach and he sits there so nice, meek and humbly on the bench. <laughs> And when he coaches in the Euro Final Four, he's in, he's Bob Knight Jr. He he was yeah. he's just so and and that's half the show business, right? Of European coaches, yeah. they are vocal, yeah. they're loud, and they're, they're demonstrative. And and I just every time I see him, I he, I just love the way he's just you know adapting, you know, to this. But oh, exactly. a marvelous coach, yeah. you know. Tell yeah. me this, friend. What what could our coaches learn? from European coaches, in your opinion? Any thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things uh, that I think that, uh, especially younger coaches, but really all coaches here, is, uh, you know, be adaptable. Don't be afraid to adjust and change just because you see something that's, you know, you see somebody run a good play, and I think it's constantly tinkering and saying, boy, I I, I like that set. How, How can I 
you know, how can I utilize it for my personnel? I, I, I've talked about that already. I think the second thing is um, I have – I have, at a necessity, because I wanted to learn so much, I think the pick-and-roll game over there um, is so far more advanced than, let's, let's just say, high school mm-hmm. or college. We we know how good pick-and-roll, you know, pick-and-roll basketball in the NBA is, but I would say for a young coach who's watching, who, who has the luxury maybe even of getting on synergy and watching yeah. European basketball, watch the European point guards in pick-and-roll because – I, I, I don't invent very many things, but I, I came up with this idea, Brendan, and I'm going to share it with you, and you're free to use it and or tell me that someone else has talked about this before. But I'll give you a, a with, Hurley, and we'll call it the Fran. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when I when I talk pick and roll with my sons, and they were high school players, and, and, yeah. uh, and now when I speak at clinics, I, I talk about three levels of pick and roll. And the first level is the man guarding you, the point guard, the ball, man with the ball. And that's first level of pick and roll. And if you're worried about the defender guarding you with the ball, we have no pick and roll. You know, there is no pick and roll if the guy is bringing the ball up the floor and the defender is in his behind and he can't, you know, he can't move anywhere. The second level is what happens at the point of the screen. And that's where many young guards have trouble. They have trouble getting by the screener's defender. They have trouble eating what he's doing. Is he hard hedging? Is soft hedging? Are they trapping? Are they, are they icing or pushing the ball down to the baseline? And to me, that's the second level. And m- most good players, most good point guards, are able to handle the second level pretty well uh, with repetitions. Uh, okay. You know, I was one of those guys that put the chair down in pick and roll. To you know, when I was with my sons in the gym, and I would be the defender on the screen, and we would yeah. dummy it. And I would show them the reads and where you got to go. But the great point guards, they think at the third level. They're not worried about the man guarding them. They're not worried about the the, the screener's man because they have an answer for everything that the screener's man throws at them. The great point guards see the other three defenders and find out where the openings are in the defense. And that's what the great point guards in Europe do. And that's what the Chris Pauls and the Steve Nashes have done through the years, I, to, I just want to ask you what you think of that kind of concept. Well, I, I, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I hadn't heard it. I love the way you outlined it, one, two, three. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I, I, I think the problem I see in American uh, colleges, let's say, is that uh, two things, twofold. Uh, the coaches do not do a good job of teaching how to read coverage. And I, I like in every, I love football, and so I like in everything to that having this outstanding quarterback, but you don't help them understanding that sometimes teams are man-to-man covering your receivers, sometimes they're in zone coverage, sometimes they're in cover too, and you just are going down there and you're playing the same way every time. You have to be able yes. to read. Uh, but, and, yeah. and then as a coach, I have to have what I call a solution for every one yes. of those coverages that my guys have teach just for those of us that used to teach the motion offense which you know Knight did so beautifully you know we yeah. kids couldn't read defense well it's the same thing you got to teach these kids how to read the coverage the idea of those well, other three players <laughs> that that that's the thing that makes you uh, Peyton Manning uh, Russell Wilson yes. James Winston and I, and I yeah and that, I think that's, I that's the advanced placement that's beautiful yeah, and I think that can be developed, and I can remember, uh, I can remember uh, 
couple of years ago, I did a St. Mary's Gonzaga game, and I was so excited yeah. to see Matt, Matthew Delvadova play because yep. he had all that international experience, and his pick-and-roll IQ in college was way above most college players. And uh, and so, you know, I, that's something I think coaches could really study is teaching their kids how to be great in pick-and-roll situations and mm-hmm. really how to get to that third level of – I love the point guard, and you see it every night when you watch the NBA, the guy that comes off a screen driving right and throws it back to the left corner and now creates a long closeout and puts a defense in disarray. Yes. And I, don't, I wish I'd see more of that at the high school and college level, but that's why, you know, that's why I love clinics. That's why you do coaching yeah. you live, and that's why we love sharing the game with coaches because we want them to know about this stuff. And trust me, um, here's what happens. I think a lot of the college coaches, because we talk about this all the time, they are involved in doing so many things with their job, yes. the recruiting aspect, yeah. the you know, the, just handling the day-to-day student athlete, et cetera, whereas the NBA coaches, 100% of their time is on basketball. And so I yeah. say, I might not be as smart as a college coach, but if I'm doing something 100% of the time, you're doing it less than 20% of the time, I'm going to yeah. probably get better than you at it. And that's the big thing. And so uh, that's why it's mandatory that we go above and beyond in learning. The thing, Fran, I, I'm really intrigued by, and, and your thoughts on, I feel they play better five-man basketball internationally. You know, yes. as opposed yeah. to NBA and college. It's a little bit more isolation type and one-on-one stuff. They seem to be better team players or run well, better systems. Yeah, I, you know, it's I I I'll go back to the Euro Camp again. We we only have those kids around us for three sure. days, and we we have a I got to tell you, we have a forty five minute practice the first morning, uh, and then we kind of you know we might have fifteen or thirty minutes here or there the next couple of days. And if you and I, you can relate to this when you watch these kids by the end of the third day, they look like they've played together for 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 an entire year. Because they all come up in a system that teaches team basketball. And a perfect example, as you know, Brendan, is uh, baseline drive, baseline drift. Everybody in Europe understands that when the guard drives baseline, that the other four players all know where to go. You know, uh, there's somebody in in the opposite corner for the drift. There's the opposite wing for the drift extra pass or the or the skip across. There's the safety man behind who could be a big guy uh, who can shoot the three. And the, if the opposite big guy, the op, if the big is on the opposite block, he rolls to the center of the rim. So there are concepts like that that are taught by European coaches that come naturally to those kids because they're taught that kind of basketball at an early age. And so they, under, they, have, an, they have an understanding of the game at the early age. And the other thing is, by and large, although it does, it's starting to change a little bit. They're getting a little more Americanized, those young players. But um, by and large, they don't care who scores. Mm-hmm. And the ball doesn't stick. And one last thing, uh, by necessity, the ball can't stick because they all grow up with a 24-second clock. And they, the ball has to move quickly and move quicker than the defense because they're just looking for the one opening that gets them a good shot because they realize a good shot may not happen again 
if they pass up the first one because of the low clock. So I think all of those things are reasons why the you know you, when you yeah. do watch the Europeans, they look like they move the ball better. And uh, but we're we're seeing that now coming back, and the Spurs obviously yes. have had a lot to do with that. And there are college teams that we both and know they and they have to play. And I believe this, the Spurs have eight international players too. Yeah, they I do. Think. They do, and yeah. they have that culture, that's, you know. But yeah, I, that's what, well, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's great. But you know, you and I both know guys, you know. But, well, maybe Bob. I, mean, I, hate to, I was going to use Bob McKilp as an example, but he has an international background as well. But uh, I, I love the fact that the Spurs won last year, and the Hawks did it this year. And there's more teams on every level looking at the way they play and say, "Well, we don't have those kind of level talent players, but we certainly can move the ball better." And you know, hopefully, they're a good example for you know for coaches and teams. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, yeah. You just got me on the 24-second clock. You, myself, Billis, mm-hmm. uh, our friend Paul Biancardi, you know, they all yeah. think we're advocating the 24-second clock like, we ha- like we're getting it, you know, <laughs> we're going to sell the clocks or something like that. <laughs> it's only our experience of having used the clock and observed the clock for not just the best teams will win. I mean, in Europe, yeah. the best teams, you know, don't always win. It's a style yeah. of play. Um, so you have this 24-second clock and eight seconds to bring the ball over the half-court line. Um, you know, the wider lane, any defense goes, okay, that's yeah. FIBA basketball. Um, your thoughts on combining FIBA basketball to make our college game better for, against, partial? Oh, I'm, oh, I'm for it. I'm for it. I think, I think that uh... – I honestly think that uh, good coaches will figure ways out to play with uh, with a lower clock, whether it's 30, which I believe it's going to be next year, Brendan, in college, or or if it's eventually 24, which I'd like to see. Because, you know, first of all, uh, I believe the lower clock promotes, A, faster play and better ball movement. And there's, you can have less wasted time. Coaches have to – run into their offense, and I would break it down this way. Seven, let's see if I get my math right, seven, 16, seven. Uh, and you, you're familiar with this because of all your time in the NBA. You know, the first seven seconds should be, you know, flow. Flow into your fast break or into your, you know, into your half-court offense. I always said my transition break was my half-court offense run from the full court. And so I think coaches will want to push the ball a little quicker Get into a little bit more flow, and uh, and 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 not waste as much time. The other thing that I think is going to be great for the game, if coaches are aware of this, is they better have a seven-second offense. And by that I mean last seven seconds of the clock. Like if I were coaching next year with a thirty-second clock, the things I would work on early in the in, this, in the preseason would be my zone offense. Because it's going to come. There'll be more zone play to, because teams will think that they can shrink the clock. So good coaches will just work and practice on more zone offense. And good coaches will also work on uh, their under seven second offense. So I, I think that's the first thing. I think it'll speed the game up, promote ball movement, and uh, be good for the game in that regard. The other thing that I think is really missing from the college level, it pains me to say, but you mentioned it because coaches don't have enough time to spend, uh, you know, X and knowing is I think the lower clock uh, will promote coaching creativity. 
I think that coaches are not going to be so cookie cutter. And, and, you know, we'll see, you know, what we call America's plays being run. <laughs> you got to think outside the box. You got to think about space in the floor. You got to think about, you know, driving and kicking. And, you know, I think, I think the good coaches will, will be more creative. And, uh, I think that'll be good for the game. Let me ask you this. Uh, here's my uh, opinion of this. Young coaches coming up today, I think, Brandon, are better defensive coaches than they are offensive coaches because, Defense is a little bit easier to teach. In fact, it may be a lot easier to teach. Um, all you got to do is get guys to play with effort and be in generally the right position, and you can be a good defensive team. Whereas offense takes more creativity, and I, I think hopefully this lower clock brings creativity at least a little bit more into uh, you know offensive play. So you know, I'm all in favor of it. The um, the the college coach as a general generality. And I mean the 350 D1 to D2 to D3, a lump them all together of a thousand uh, head coaches. Let's say they, uh, unfortunately, they don't know what they don't know. It's the unknown out there with the clock and everything. So they look yeah. at it as if, if we don't know it. Gosh, uh, that would yeah. mean I'd have to change. And gosh. I don't want to change. I'm against change. I, I I tweeted out about a month ago, probably during the Final Four, when Billis got me excited. I got goosebumps, you know, from yeah. some of his banter uh, with our friend yeah. Seth Greenberg. <laughs> that I yeah. that I would that if these coaches were all working for Apple, we would never would have invented an iPhone. You know, they would have still wanted yeah. a rotary dial phone. You know, yeah. because yeah. they're just against change and they don't know what. What good it can be? It'll make them a better coach. I think so. I think they'll study, you know, they'll study ways to to play with a lower clock, and then, and then I have to tell you, um, I think it's going to promote skill development because ah, that's it. We, yeah. You know, we are so point guard oriented in in our, an offense, you know, especially at the college and high school level, uh, to the point where many times. As you know, uh, you can you can cut the head off the snake, uh, so to speak, in an offense by just you know denying the point guard the ball as many times as possible. And what's what happened? What happens in international play because of the 24 second clock? More guys can make plays at the end of the clock, and that's why you see traditionally through the years, you know, bigger international players being able to handle the ball so well. And I think coaches will have to actually develop more than one playmaker. Um, eventually, you know, when the clock is set and you've worked on your under seven second offense and your your small forwards got the ball or your big guys got the ball and you've been trained to run right into a dribble handoff, you know, because it's it's part of your under seven second offense. Um, I, I think it's going to improve skill development too. I, I really see. Very little downside. By the way, the Tony Bennett's of the world, who are defensive coaches, they're going to play less defense now for five. You know, they're going to play five. In the case mm-hmm. of the twenty-four second clock, if you're a great defensive team, you should like this because full time. And the good coaches will adjust both offensively and defensively. They really will. Give Bo Ryan an eight-second shot clock; he'll get shots up. Amen. That's. That's my feeling. You know, Tony Bennett went, as you know, uh, Billy Donovan for three years coached the under-18, under-19 team, and he brought Tony yep. with him. And 
uh, Tony, uh, who I see every summer, said to me, who had played in the NBA for three years, people don't realize that yeah. they think he played, yeah. you know, when there was no, a sand clock or something, a sand hourglass yeah. or something, <laughs> you know, and, and he said, man, I love the 24-second clock, the FIBA rules. He said it was so much fun, you know, <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, and Tony was also a guy that hardly ran, you know, ran his, you know, their their offense that they run for years to move a blocker, and, and then yeah. when... You know, Billy Donovan uh, kind of kicked his butt, uh, you know, several years ago, running 60-plus pick-and-rolls in an NCAA game, when I think UVA lost by about 30. He came back, yeah. and now he's got pick-and-rolls as an integral part of his game because he adapted, he learned, and he found out yeah. I can combine them both and make yes. my team even better. You know, and that's, what, that's and, the kind of learning that I love. And let me tell you this, because I think coaches listening will, will really like this, too. Billy... I was in Prague two years ago uh, with Coach Raveling uh, right. when when Billy and Tony and Shaka and those guys won the gold medal, and they were scared to death of Serbia, a team that uh, they beat twice in a tournament, but it, w- it didn't come easy. And that USA team had, you know, Justice Winslow, Jaleel Okafor, Aaron Gordon, and Marcus Smart, a bunch of others. But how about how about what Billy learned, Brendan? And I and I'll. I talk about this at clinics now because I learned this. They run fake offense, and we call it false motion, false just motion. to get to their pick it. and roll sets. You know, they, they, they. You think they're running a play, but what they're really doing is they're moving the defense around before they get into their, you know, what's usually mostly spread pick and roll. And you've watched Billy for many years. You know, Billy was ahead of the curve on the pick and roll especially with lifting four guys, you know, uh, putting four guys out on the three-point line. And even Billy saw the the advantage of not just coming down in a static spread pick-and-roll set, um, which eventually will be easier to guard yeah. once you get the hang of it, you know, and you know because it happens in the league every night. And Billy saw the beauty of running fake offense, to get to the spread pick and roll. And I think that's a really good concept for high school and college coaches to have who have a couple of favorite pick and roll sets. You know you got to get your, your best ball handler to a certain spot on the floor. Yep. So run a fake offense. Move everybody around and bring them right back to that spot before you run your pick and roll. And, you know, the European guys, uh, you know, that's another thing they do really well that we, you know, we're, steal- we're stealing from them now. I, no, you're a hundred percent right, and I love that. That, that. I love false motion. I think it's a that's one way that they're way ahead of us in that. And that's that's a great great point. You have one of the most envious jobs in all of sports, yes. in my opinion. You, <laughs> you, you get you get to you get to observe the best coaches in the world. Uh, you get to go to their practices. You get to watch them play in the best seat in the house and comment on it, and get to talk to them. Tell me about the experience of being one of the lead analysts for ESPN uh, and basically covering the best teams and coaches in the country. What is that? First tell about that, but also the development even of you from your seat of how that makes you a better coach. Yeah, well, I'm blessed. I really am. Uh, And I mean that sincerely. I have not worked a day in my life. I uh, started as a young assistant coach at Rhode Island right out of college. I spent 23 years coaching nine as a head coach, eight postseasons in nine years. And then 
I made a family decision, really. It happened by accident, but uh, I got a chance to go to ESPN, and, and although I've been offered opportunities to go back to coaching through the years, I found something that I truly love, and it gave me a chance to spend time uh, at home with coaching my boys uh, in the summer times rather than somebody else's sons, which I enjoyed. But now I do get to sit courtside. And, you know, Brendan, the, the good analogy, you, you're so in tune with the business community because of all your all the things that you do. And, and to me, uh, being, a, being a former coach who's an analyst at ESPN, I'm like, I'm like a consultant. It's like I like like Billy Donovan is a CEO of a of a company, and so is John Calipari, and you know so is Bill Self, and you know I'm a guy. That I feel like I sold my company. You know I had a smaller company and I sold it. Now I'm just a consultant. You know I get to voice my opinion, but it doesn't really matter whether anybody listens to me or not. Uh, so you know, but and no, for those guys, they they're under the gun all the time, much like a CEO would be. For me, I sit courtside, I observe, I try to explain to people at home in the simplest way possible what both coaches are doing, the strategy, uh, what they say in the locker room, where the kids are from and who they played for in high school. And, oh, by the way, did you know that Bill Self worked with Leonard Hamilton, you know, when he was a young assistant at Oklahoma State? So I love that. And I love the history of the game, as you know. So I try to bring that into it where I can. But... I sit courtside right now as a fan and a former coach and absolutely have a great time and try to convey that to the audience. It's very simple. At the same time, when you do go to their practices, I yep. know this happens. Uh, yeah. You go to their practices and you're sitting there with literally Hall of Fame coaches and they'll yep. say to you privately, I know they'll say, Fran, what do you see with my team? What do you see that can help me? Yeah, and that's yeah. also your consultant's role, where you're sharing and helping. That's part of our community of coaching. Of yeah. is about helping another coach even get better. Well, there's no question, and I have to tell you that uh, I learned at an early age in coaching, um, you know, to make sure that I gave back to other coaches. I had, like, like in any business, um, I had a lot of people help me move up the ladder and uh and i'll tell you a great story it, it, it's really it, it's the essence to me of coaching and i'm glad that it was taught to me at a, at, a, at a young age but when i took over at manhattan college for steve lapis who went on to villanova he he left me a great team um and so in my first year when we were winning and we wound up going to the ncaa tournament for the first time i think in 38 years if i recall and but all, all during the first year, people would say, "Boy, you're you know your first year as a head coach, you're doing a great job. You're winning these games." And I would always say, "Yeah, but Steve Lapis left me a great group of kids, which he did." And Steve and I have been friends since that time because I, I wanted to make sure that 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 I not only acknowledged him, but that like I wasn't a genius here. Okay, I had good players and. And, and they helped me get other good players. And then when Steve's guys left, and they were my guys too, by the way, but as our kids graduated from Manhattan and I brought other kids in, and they became guys I recruited, that wouldn't have happened without the success we had because of Steve. And so the point is, Brendan, you know, that we're always sharing and we're always trying to make the other coach look good wherever we can um, because it's part – and when I have to be critical – I try to be constructively critical. Um, 
I, I it bothers me when I hear ex coaches, you know, talk about other coaches on TV, and then I think, wait a minute, you didn't you didn't even go to the NCAA tournament yeah. uh, as a head coach, and you know, so it's okay to have an opinion and be strong in your opinion, but there's ways to do it by acknowledging that you don't have all the answers also. So I do try to help coaches where I can. I do try to, you know, maybe, uh, you know, where I can, you know, in their office or at practice say, hey, have you thought about doing this? Or when they ask me my opinion, I give it to them. But I'm very conscious of how hard it is to be good at this business and how many things are out of a coach's control. And so I'm very careful about how I criticize, but I, when I have to do it, I do it in a way that is clear, but it's constructive as well. Hey, friend, um, and that's an amazing teaching point right there. I hope our c- coaches play that a couple of times over. Uh, friend, this year, when you were out broadcasting, give me a couple yep. of your favorite players that you covered this year that you really liked, even if they're not going to be drafted or if they're underclassmen, just guys that you liked. The way they well, play. because I'm yeah, because I'm in draft mode right now. Um, yeah. I, I absolutely love D'Angelo Russell, um, the young man from Ohio State. I think he's going to be a very good pro, Brendan. Um, he's, you know, he's a 19 year old, six foot four point guard. But what I loved about him, and I know Jay did, Jay Billis did some of his games. Incredible court awareness. Um, I, I like to say that great passers throw passes to teammates who don't even realize they're open. <laughs> and and, and that's, you, you, that's a TV line, by the way. Okay? That's a great one. I like that one, man. I wrote and that one. And you can use that. I'm putting that one <laughs> you know? on there. <laughs> and, and he throws passes to spots, and all of a sudden the guy looks up and goes, oh, my God, i got to lay up. <laughs> and, and so he does that, but he also – when a teammate comes off a screen and he's wide open, there's no wasted energy in motion. It's a chest pass into a shooting pocket at the perfect spot, at the perfect time. And so I really enjoyed watching him play this year because I said to myself, how does someone 19 learn how to have the vision of seeing the court and the game and the defense the way he has? It's much like we mentioned but. Peyton Manning before. So he was a particular favorite of mine. And anybody who plays hard is someone that I love. Like we've said this time immemorial, playing hard is a skill. Yeah, It's a way for a guy who doesn't have a lot of physical uh, or offensive talent to be a real contributor. So guys that play hard, you know, really stick out and stick out to me. And like, you know, he's a little on the edge, but I love watching Montrez Harrell play for Louisville. Yeah, I do. Because, yeah. You know, he plays so darn hard every night. And, uh, you know, so that's a, that's another guy that, you know, sticks out at me is uh, a guy like that that really kind of respects the game in the sense that he's going to give you every ounce of energy, uh, you know, every night. Is it too early to talk about the international players yet? I mean, as far as no, 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 let's go. Come out? Yeah. No, yeah, let's but, do it. Uh, yeah, I'll like a, three, a couple of the kids that I have put their, you know, name in that, that might, yeah. you know, be really good, special for you in your eyes. Well, there's three that are going to go in the top ten, and one of them is a, a name that uh, fans know, and that's you know, Emmanuel Moutier. Technically, he's an international uh, player, you know, because yeah. he grew up in the Congo, yep. uh, came to Dallas, and then spent this year in China. 
And uh, he, he's, he's really a terrific international. Guard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll be able to talk about him draft night because we we'll slot him in the international, uh, you know, category. But okay, uh, but he's a guy that uh, you know a lot of high school and college fans are aware of. He came out of Dallas, big, strong point guard. Um, has to still learn running a running a team and an offense, which he can do. Very, very coachable. Uh, and and as you know, in the league, when you play the point guard spot. If you're not a great shooter, it does tend to shrink the floor. Yeah. So that'll be something else that he has to work on. But the two guys that nobody's heard of uh, are Mario Zonia, who is a six foot eight swingman from Croatia, who plays for FC Barcelona, and is extremely talented. The way I describe him, Brendan, is that he's a one. He's the only player in this draft that could eventually someday win both the three-point shooting contest and dunk contest. Um, so, yeah, yeah, he's an athletic, uh, talented, sometimes mercurial player. I'm not going to say he's the Croatian J.R. Smith. I don't want to go there, but he's got – Don't don't, got don't, this, don't do that to the I, kid, no. <laughs> I know, I, I know, I know. But he's got this ability to put the ball in the basket. Uh, you know, he made eight straight threes in an ACB game this year, oh, and he's also a fab. Yeah, how about that? And, and by the way, I, you've heard me say this, but I want to get this on the podcast. College basketball right now is double-A baseball compared to the major leagues. Yes. The Euro League, it, to me, is triple-A. Triple-A, I agree and, 100%. And that's 100%. why Amir, Amirotich from the Bulls can step right in. And I True. tell my college friends, you know, just because you're averaging 18 at Kansas, that's like hitting 290 in Double A. Mm-hmm. There's a chance we're going to see you in the major leagues, but it's not absolutely a given. You know, like you hit 330 in Triple A, we can start talking about the major leagues. And and so that that kid Hazonia is played in a, playing at a high level, and then Kristaps Porzingis, a seven foot one, uh, 19, 20 year old, will turn 20 this year. Combine, he's a stretch five who can block shots. How about that? Uh, stretch that, that, five. So he's like Bargnani on one end. Okay. okay. But, the Knicks fans have know, just left I the know. podcast. Yes. I, I know, I know. But he can he, he can defend. How about this? Would you take an offensive Bargnani and a defensive Kirilenko? Oh, would I doubt Not bad. Yeah, super Not super. bad. Yeah. So you got a kid who can be because he's a very he's much more athletic and bouncy than Bargnani. This kid is a shot blocker, rim protector, athlete, floor runner, seven foot one, can shoot the three. Now here's the caveat: no lower body base right now, uh, so he's he's not going to score in the low post. I don't want to say he's two years away from being two years away. That would be unfair. But he is a kid that has tremendous athleticism and skill. The body type is going to lend itself to him being more of a perimeter stretch five early in his career. But he does have innate shot blocking ability on the defensive end. So we're going to see. You know, we're going to see about him. But Fran, where's he from? Latvia. Latvia. Oh. Signed signed as a young player, and since he's been fifteen. He has uh, he has played in Spain, 
So wow. the last three years he's been in the ACB as a 17, 18, and 19-year-old. And so he's having success there, which, you know, usually translates to the NBA. Without a doubt. And and for our listeners, there's nothing more beautiful than on draft night when you pronounce a name <laughs> that the rest of us can't even come close to spelling. Give me that once again. This is like this is like a symphony to our listeners. G- give me that young man's name again. Okay. Christop. I'll give you this one. Christops Porzingis. And then let me find a. Uh, uh, <laughs> let me find. Let me uh, let me look at my list and find one that you'll really uh, you know you want you to chew chew on. Nikola Milutinov. Oh, I love that. Milutinov, a Serbian, uh, seven-foot Serbian who actually played against that uh, great USA team a couple of years ago. Well, you're the MVP so. on draft night, in my opinion, every <laughs> night. Now, now, last year, as I as I was watching uh, the games last night, um, I'm watching Houston, Dallas. And I'm watching one of the players, I believe, that you gave expert commentary on last year when he was drafted was yep. Capella. Yes, was, yes. Okay. And my son is sitting there with me, and he's saying, Dad, watch this guy shoot foul shots. Yeah, yeah. He's actually Unusual. surprised me. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah no, because draft night you thought he was a ways, ways away, right? I thought, you know, we love this athleticism and effort. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, terrific energy guy. Yeah. Um, you know, he wasn't necessarily two years away from being two years away, but I didn't see him. You know, my my here's what I'll give this kid incredible credit for. For Kevin McHale to put him in a rotation oh. in a playoff series. Incredible. That tells you all you need to know about that kid. Yes. That's a great point. And you know, and that's all you need to know. And what I you know it's funny it's funny, Brendan, as we looked at last year's first round international or college, you watch many of these series, and the one thing I try to tell my college friends is, okay, tell me the rookies out there playing in meaningful minutes, and you can count them on one hand. Amen. And that's because they haven't learned the trade yet, and you you know better than anybody, far better than I do, what it's like to be in a game five or game six of an NBA playoff series. Well, one of the things that, uh, you know, I'm very disappointed in my college friends that are saying we should let these kids come right from high school to the NBA. Uh, yeah. And my thing is, well, first of all, this is not your business. Uh, and yeah. so to to perform, it, it'd be like saying, uh, you know, from high school, you should go right to medical school. You don't need to go to college or <laughs> or just or just go practice medicine. You know, you like it. I went to a doctor. Yeah. I want to be a doctor. Uh, you know, and so just because these kids want to be in the pros, their AAU coach and their parents want them to be in the pros, uh, they're not ready to play in the family business, so to speak. And my as the coach in the, of an NBA team, my job is solely to win. My general manager yeah. slash personnel people, their job is to select the team for me. I don't go out and yeah. evaluate those kids. And now if they give me a kid that was Tracy McGrady-esque, uh, which, you know, coming out of high school, as Isaiah yeah. picked them, great talent, but wasn't ready to play at 18. But, right. you know, by the time he was 20 and 21, he was fantastic. You could see it coming. 
But at 19, no, he wasn't ready. He could jump and dunk. That's all he could do. Had no skill level yet. And he's turned yeah, out to be yeah. a near Hall of Fame player. But that I, you know, that's why we like one, but I would really like two years to see what yes. you become. Fair enough? Well, and that, yes, not only is it fair, but that's why uh, many of these international kids, that's why teams draft these guys, because they know they can, I mean, the Chicago Bulls took Nikola Mirotic, which was a great pick about four years ago. Tremendous. Yeah, maybe five even. And you know what? He basically played at the highest level in Europe as an all-star um, and learned his craft in AAA. You know, and not that it's not great yeah. basketball over there, but it's not the NBA. And, he, you know, his adjustment to the NBA was so much easier. And, you know, to, to it's like, to give an analogy, it's like, I know there's a kid in Orlando right now that throws 95 miles an hour in high school. I know there's got to be somewhere in the one mile from my house, actually. Believe it or not, there is. Okay, first pick in the draft, maybe right. And you know what? He's going to get drafted, and they're going to send him to rookie ball. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to they're not going to put him on. You know, the Seattle Mariners, if they were to take him, are not going to put him in the major leagues right away. And Unfortunately, um, we do that with our kids because of the system. And I always tell my friends in college and high school, you know, it's one thing to be in the NBA. It's another thing to become an NBA player. And when you get to playoff time, as you know well, uh, you better be an NBA player because Kevin McHale is not sticking that kid, Capella, in the lineup unless he can help him win games. And the same way with the, uh, the rookie that gets drafted out of Michigan or North Carolina. They're not playing if they can't help them win a playoff series. Mm. Well, you know, last week we, we did a, Kevin Eastman did an incredible podcast on learning, uh, and the question was to Kevin, Kevin, for the college and high school coaches that are in their off season, what no, what ideas do you have for them? Well, 25 minutes later, he took a breath, uh, but yeah. what he basically said is, uh, Brendan. Uh, I don't believe in off seasons, but what is called yeah. the off season is my on season. So, Fran, oh, you that. just you now are entering your on season because now you're doing some of the best work you do all year long with your NBA combine, your Euro camp, and and the draft, and then the summer things that you do, uh, and your yeah. your teaching that you're going to do in the summer. You are a spectacular coach, a better friend. And uh, as always, a faculty member for life of coaching you live. And uh, we thank you so much, Kevin and I. Thank you for always sharing what oh, you do. Always. A, I get just as much enjoyment out of talking basketball with you as, uh, as I do being on the podcast. So thank you. 